Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are exposing a few myths. We are puncturing a few balloons of fakery. And we are going to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Let's start with one of the greatest con jobs of all time. Just yesterday, the fight back began against the cult of veganism. The woke warriors from the wacky world of climate change activism have been busy telling us for years that it's just not diesel cars that are killing the planet, but that meat-eating will also lead to our ultimate demise. With Joaquin Phoenix leading from the front against the horrors of dairy farming at the Oscars this week. The farmers are fighting back. At a National Farmers Union conference in London yesterday, speakers accused the vegan lobby of gross dishonesty in their claims that plant-based foods were actually better for the environment. One of them even went so far as to suggest that tofu, a protein made from soy milk that actually tastes like cardboard, is worse for the planet than lamb, pork and chicken put together. Thank goodness that common sense is starting to return to our world. Let's support the farmers and get these vegans to get back in their boxes. Is there anything more more tedious than these middle-class eco-warriors urging us all to give up meat two days a week. Planks doesn't even begin to cover it. 03444991000. Coming up later on, we'll be asking why the lefty lawyers have been allowed to once more derail justice with the result that 25 serious and dangerous offenders that should have been deported yesterday may end up back on our streets. Dominic Cummings has called the judicial review system an absolute farce. And he's right, isn't he? Also, we'll be checking in with Donna Harvey in the USA as news reaches us that Bernie Sanders is emerging as a possible frontrunner in the race for the White House. And it's yet another edition of Prime Minister's Questions with Boris HS2 Johnson in the hot seat. You're listening to me and watching me live on YouTube right here on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, the papers are full of all sorts of crises this morning with uh, the coronavirus still spreading like wildfire. We've also got, of course, these uh, supposed uh, criminals that were meant to be deported to Jamaica who may well be freed onto our streets sometime later on this month. We'll be bringing you that coming up a little bit later on. First, though, let's talk to Jason Salisbury, a dairy farmer at Suffolk Farmhouse Cheese, because uh, he, like me, uh, is probably fed up hearing that we should all go vegan one or two days a week in order to save the planet. Jason, a very good morning to you. 
Good morning, Mike. How are you well? Yeah, well, I'm not bad, actually. I'm slightly struggling with some kind of coronavirus offshoot that I can't seem to get rid of, but I think I'm going to be all right. But my voice may be slightly less good than it normally is. Let's talk about this uh, National Farmers Union conference in London yesterday where it was pointed out that actually tofu may be worse for the environment than, than meat. Yeah, it could be. Um, tofu is obviously made from uh, soybean, but um, we feed soybeans to our, well, a soybean byproduct back to our cows. Mm. So, um, I mean, I look after 130 vegans here. So, you know, um, everybody has got their own choice and everyone's got their own opinion and what we should and shouldn't be doing. And, um, you know, I'm, I happily eat dairy products. My, my family certainly does and all my customers certainly do. So, you know, um, it's a very, very small percentage of people choose, choose to go a different direction. Yeah, well, that's right. But the thing is, you know, people are more and more being made to feel as though if you do eat meat, there's something uh, in some way morally questionable about you and that you should actually be trying not only to save the planet by going vegan a couple of days a week, but you should actually be going all the way vegan uh, because we're now being cruel to cows. Yeah, well, I, I, I've often said to people, you know, if you've got a problem with uh, cruelty to cows or you've, or you've got a real worry about what happens on a dairy farm, just come and see us or, or um, get in contact because I'm more than happy to show people. And we, we have um, our cows here are milked by robots, so um, they, they can't walk two yards before I know exactly where they're going. They've all got Fitbits around their necks. And, they, and you know, it's, it's a very high-tech thing now um, I think gone are the days now where their um, large factory farms are, are really, um, you know, pushing milk out on mm. milk contracts and they're snatching calves away. This vegan, the, the rise of veganism has actually done the industry really well in, in the fact that it's opened people's eyes to what's going on. Um, farm assurance schemes have set up and they've really taken um, the views of the public on board that and they have changed. So, Do you think that's um, as a result then of this activism from the vegan lobby? Oh, I'm sure it has. I'm sure it's got something to do with it. But, you know, the, the industry itself had to change anyway, and it has done, and it's changed for a long, long time now. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, the, the rise of it has certainly pushed it to the top, and um, I, would, I would really encourage people to come here and, and see what we do. I mean, just before Christmas, we had a, a family turn up, and the mum and dad were vegans. They weren't really sure what the children wanted to do and I chatted with them for, for a while and within half an hour they jumped back in the car with two pieces of cheese yeah. because they liked seeing what we were doing here and they and they they you know they could see that we're, that everything we're doing is right and in their view is great I'm never going to never going to nothing is going to be brilliant you know nothing's going to be absolutely spot on but as long as we can show what we're doing and everybody's happy and the cows are... I mean, my wife is a vet, so, you know, I, and I milk 50 cows through this machine here. Well, you're not going to have um, a very successful business if you're cruel to the actual creatures that are providing the, the product for you, are you? Of course you're not. Happy cows make happy milk. And, mm. you know, that's... that's it's, it's an age-old thing. So how do you yeah. feel when you see somebody like Wackin Phoenix at the Oscars talking to millions of people around the world in his acceptance yeah. speech, going on about the, you know, the horrors of dairy farming, the horrors right. of, of, of literally artificially inseminating a cow, making sure. the cow give birth to a, a calf which is then snatched yeah. away from the mother while she's in the yeah. throes of agony? I'd like Phoenix to come here and I'd like to show him exactly what we do. And um, He's wrong, then? You know, 
I can't say that it doesn't go on because it probably does in the, in America and overseas. But I, you know, it doesn't happen here. Yeah, well, that's not much of a defence, though, is it? I mean, if you're saying that it doesn't happen where you are, but it happens everywhere else, why does it have to be that way? No. And, it, and is he right to say? Is he right to criticise it, or is it just something that we have to get used to? Is he? Is he? Does he know the facts about it all? Well, I mean, he's, he's basically spouting something that you and I have spoken about before, and certainly I've spoken to dairy farmers about before, that there is a, a, a sort of a side of what I would call um, slightly deranged veganism, yeah. where they literally want us to stop doing anything that has anything to do with that. They want us to stop raising animals. They don't even want cows to even exist, really, because they don't see the point. Sure. I'm, I can't say that it doesn't happen, because it, it probably does. To be honest, here where we are, I don't know anywhere which does it. Mm. Is um, that more likely to be the bigger sort of, you know, more factory farming type places then? I would imagine so, but even then in the UK, we have a much higher standard than anywhere else. So, um, you know, if milk, milk buyers, in other words, people who um, are farmers who sell to dairies have got mm. to go through a, a typical assurance scheme. And these assurance um, guys will turn up on the farm and, and inspect the farm, and if it doesn't fit the criteria, they've lost the milk contract. That's, right. that's just the way it goes. Mm. So they've really, they've really got to sort of um, set their standards out, um, and those standards are extremely high here in the, in the UK. Right. But also, when you look at some of the kind of alternative substitutes that people are now producing for milk, like almond milk and all of that, you know, that presumably yeah. has its own carbon footprint as well, but we're never told about that. No, I should imagine we, we yeah, you see, because almond milk, for instance, is made from the, the taste of an almond, so, and added water to it, so it's, I don't know how, how they can call it milk, because um, it's not milk. No, because I, I guess because they can put it in their coffee and pretend to be virtuous. I mean, that's what most of this is all about. It's about looking as if you're doing the right thing. Um, yeah. You know, I know people who say, oh, well, you know, I'm vegan uh, for the weekend or I'm vegan for two days a week. I met a guy yesterday uh, that I used to work with who was wearing vegan shoes. And he was very happy right. to tell me he was wearing vegan shoes. I said, well, I don't really care what, what your shoes are. I'm not going to eat them. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm happy... Um, with my counterparts here who, you know, we, we know that we're doing the best for, for our girls. And, um, you know, we're, we, veganism will, will rise and it will fall and it will, there'll be something else which comes in its way. And I think as farmers, we've just got to take it on the chin, learn from exactly what they're saying. And, uh, and carry on doing what we know best. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. The trouble is, right, um, our politicians are now, you know, uh, taking on this kind of branch of virtue signalling in the same way that they do with uh, Extinction Rebellion when they invite them in uh, to a room, even though Extinction Rebellion basically would do away with any, every single de democratic process that we have in this country and force people to do things in a particular way. They talk to them and they listen to them and they make policy based on what they tell them. And they're going to start maybe doing the same thing with veganism. They're going to start making it very much more expensive for guys like yourself to produce what you produce. And they're going to try and make you do something different. Maybe they should sit in the, far in the room with the farmers as well. And, th and then maybe we could all sit down together and talk about everybody's issues. Right. Well, the National Farmers Union has a role here, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes. Um, I, I'm not involved with the National Farmers Union, so I can't speak on behalf of them at all. But um, they do listen to the farmers and they do um, champion their cause. Um, the best thing to do is to, for people just to 
to contact the local farmer and see exactly what they're doing and, and then make their own mind up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a guy called Graham McAuliffe who's from the Rothamsted Institute and he was talking yesterday about why tofu has a bigger impact on global warming than lamb, pork or chicken. Uh, he said it's really, really uh, the perception that meat is worse for the environment than plant-based alternative uh, is wrong because of complex agricultural systems. Because let's face it, if you did away with all of the kind of uh, the animals that, that are in our food chain, what would happen? Well, the, the countryside would go to pot. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't have the countryside as we are to, as we see now. I mean, what else would you do with a, um, a, a field on the side of a mountain? You right. can't grow crops on it. You know, you can only graze sheep. And you know, what else can you do in the in the you know the wetlands? And you know, you can only grow certain things and grow and have certain animals graze over that right. that type of situation. So the whole, the whole situation of the countryside would change. There is no way that we would be able to feed the planet by growing crops. It has to, you have to um, use the animals as well in order to, to feed us all. Right. And, and I think there's also a bit of dishonesty around the amount of um, flying that is done in order to feed the vegan kind of uh, machine, if you like, because, you know, all this fake meat that they produce, the almond milk that we talked about, the various yeah. substitute cheeses that they make, you know, there's a massive carbon footprint in producing all of that stuff. Absolutely right. I mean, um, I, I'm sure that air travel and air cargo freight has, has much to do with climate change than, than anything that we could ever comprehend. Right. So, I mean, are you confident, Jason, that you'll be able to continue doing what you do for the rest of time? Like, in your lifetime, do you expect to see the farming business change irrevocably? I think it will change um, as, as things go up and down. Um, we will always continue making or producing fine-quality milk here. And um, because we're, we're, we're a small family farm um, with really, really high standards, I mean, you know, when I pass away and my end is gone, I want to come back as one of my cows because we have, <laughs> you know, massage brushes and milk whenever they want. It's got food and deep straw bed in front of them 24 hours a day. I want to come back as one of my cows because this is, this is the way to go. And we will continue what we're doing because we get the, the massive support of the, of the people around us. Mm. And what about the lifespan of, of one of your average cows? What, what is that? Well, just looking at now and... Um, we can see that, uh, just have a look on here now, that Audrey is 17. 17? That's pretty old, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They still have their first calf when they're three, and, um, and then we just keep working their way through. Right. And at 17, um, is she still giving you milk? Yeah, yeah. She's giving me... Um, 11.9 litres so far. 11.9 litres? Yeah, 12 litres. Yeah. 12 litres, right, OK. In the last 24 hours. Right. That's a lot of milk, isn't it? My goodness me. Well, listen, yeah. Jason, look, good luck with it. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Let's hope that the vegan cult does not actually make everything so much worse in the future that the politicians start to take notice of them and the politicians start to recommend that we don't buy milk, that we don't buy butter, that we don't buy cheese, but instead we reproduce it in some way which is artificial so that everybody uh, can save the planet together. 
what is the case here? As you heard from Julie Hartley Brewer's last interview uh, with another one of those doom mongers from the Eco-Plankery Society, is that, you know, the Earth is not dying. We do not need to stop eating meat in order to save the planet. We do not need to stop flying in planes in order to save the planet. We do not need to stop driving around uh, in combustion engine cars. All we have to do uh, is do a little bit of housekeeping from here to there to make sure that we are as kind to the animals as we can possibly be. But the likes of Wackin Phoenix telling us all that we're killing the planet because we're eating meat, just because he's been a vegan for God knows how many years. And the middle-class snobbery that goes on out there from people to tell you, oh yeah, well I do uh, a vegan diet uh, every Sunday, or I only eat meat one day a week. You know, really? Well, do what you like, but don't tell me what I need to do. Thank you very much indeed. We want to hear from you on this one, please, because I think it's time we fought back against this kind of woke society uh, of complete and utter pestilence and idiocy from people who don't know what they're talking about who tell you the science is clear. I mean, look at the BBC. They've now hired uh, an entire TV crew to do a TV series with Greta Thunderbird. And it's called The Science Unit, despite the fact that she knows no more about science than anybody else. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call us on. You can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio. Don't forget, uh, you can join us on YouTube now as well. We are live streaming on YouTube. Go there, like it, subscribe to it, uh, get it every single day. And, of course, we will talk to you coming up next on Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Sophie uh, has sent me some very interesting quotes uh, from a guy called Paul Ehrlich, uh, who's a former climate change and global warming fearmonger. Uh, this is what he said in 1992. Giving society cheap, abundant energy would be the equivalent of giving an idiot child a machine gun. Uh, in 1970, he said in 10 years, all, in, <coughs> excuse me, all important animal life in the sea will be extinct. Large areas of coastline will have to be evacuated because of the stench of dead fish. Well, that didn't work out terribly well, did it? Uh, the battle to feed humanity is over. In the 1970s, the world will undergo famines. Hundreds of millions of people, including Americans, are going to starve to death. He said that in 1960. Uh, I would take even money that England will not exist in the year 2000. That's what he said in 1969. Some of these absolute idiots who have been warning us about the demise of the world, the demise of the human race, the demise of everything that we know to be true, uh, have got it wrong. Year after year after year, decade after decade after decade. Let's talk to Rajith, uh, who's in Harrow. Hello, Rajith. Yes, good morning, Mike. Hello, morning. how are you? Fine, thank you. Um, what I wanted to say is that, firstly, I do a lot of travelling, and I have noticed that um, uh, commodities like uh, coconuts that, uh, that these British vegans are taking for granted yeah. are depriving local communities uh, of, of what, they, what they have taken for granted for so long. So local supplies of coconuts are being directed straight to the export market, and their prices have shot up, and the locals have got absolutely no access to coconuts anymore. Are you talking about locals in different countries in the yeah, world? Yeah, locals in, in, in the countries where the coconuts have been, have been consumed. Right. So coconuts are the staple in countries like Sri Lanka, but unfortunately, because of, the veganis because of veganism, suddenly all these coconuts, uh, coconut supplies dry up because, because they get sucked up by, um, right. by, by the export market. And somebody's um, making an awful lot of money out of this, right? Yes, yes. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a huge problem. Nobody thinks about... How, how local people are deprived of things that they sort of eat and drink because yeah. because, because uh, sort of virtue signaling people in, in rich countries can afford to suck them up and, 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 get, and pay more money for it than, um, than the local people. Uh, so that's the first That's point a very I good point, yeah, because supposedly this woke generation is, is, is morally superior to everybody else and so they shouldn't be doing that and yet they do it. 
Well, it's just that they can afford it, and they just assume that just because they can afford it, that, that, that everything from around the world sort of like deserves to come onto that place, uh, onto Waitrose or something from thousands of miles away without any consequences. And it does have consequences for the people who, where, where these things are grown. Yeah, of course it does. And, yeah. and also the nat- natural environment where they're grown. Right. The second thing I wanted to make is, uh, you might remember the agricultural minister called Nick Brown, who yes. made an error of judgment. I do remember him, yeah. Yeah, well, the, one of the biggest errors of judgment he made was when he banned pig's will. Uh, because of, uh, because of um, uh, I think it was swine flu or something yeah. like that. A swine fever or something, yeah. Flu, and it was enough, to, enough for him to ban pigs well. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that pigs have been, um, pork meat and chicken meat for that matter, has been one of the most sustainable forms of meat for 10,000 years because we were feeding them on waste, waste food. We were kind of like cre- collecting lots and lots of food from schools and hospitals and, and feeding it to pigs, and the pigs were recycling it all back into meat. Right. But, but then they banned it, and people like Tristan Stewart and, um, and also, I can't remember this other chef, uh, oh yeah, Hugh, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, oh, yes. they've, been, they've been mounting campaigns to bring back pig's will, because in places like Korea and Japan, they heat up uh, waste food to a safe temperature, like 70 degrees, uh, and they feed it to pigs very, very safely. And this is something we have to bring back. We can't be wasting huge amounts of food and dumping it into landfill. We've got to feed it back to the animals to make animal husbandry more sustainable. You're absolutely right, Rajiv. The the thing is, like, we've got this ridiculous kind of attitude now in in, in this country, certainly, where where these vegans are sort of taking over. There's not very many of them, but they're the ones that are sort of trying to pressure everybody else to be like them. And I think it's wrong. Rajiv, has got to move on because we've got lots of people to talk to. Thank you very much indeed. Imogen uh, is here uh, in Petersfield. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Mike. Hi. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. What can I do for you? <clears throat> I want to talk to you about the cows. Yes. Um, we dropped off my stepdaughter one Christmas, and she's going out with a, a family of farmers. Okay. One of them. One of them, of anyway. Them. Let's, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a little wander around and looked at all the cows and the calves, and I didn't realise they do take the calves away from the cows after about a week, and it looked so sad. These poor little calves are in, like, these little like little uh, little um, areas right. and then just a couple of meters down the road there's the mums and they didn't look very happy Mike those cows didn't they I mean uh, the, the calves how no, can, how can you tell that because oh, he was just he wouldn't interact he wasn't looking up he was just like looking down and mm. looking really sad right a week I think is too short don't you a well I suppose so I mean I'm not a farmer you know I've lived in in parts of the country where farms have been near um, I, I find it quite difficult to know whether a cow looks happy or not, to be honest. No, I just know that we're all mammals, aren't yeah. we? And I don't think to take your baby away after you've carried it all those months and to take it away so soon. Yeah. I mean, some of them, some of them take them away after a couple of days, they were saying. They said they're good. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think week. the point is, is that if taken after a couple of days, yeah, sure. If you look into what happens in the food chain and in the food industry, I think most of us would probably recoil with horror. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like inside an abattoir, for example. But you know, oh, I God choose knows. I choose to eat meat because I quite enjoy eating meat. I don't want to be told not to eat meat because it somehow makes me a bad person. Now, no, it, absolutely. Now, as long as we've got reasonable kind of regulations and the the law protects people from, uh, uh, or stops people from doing terrible, horrible things. At the end of the day, they're still slaughtering cattle. They're still slaughtering pigs. They're still slaughtering animals, you know. So I'm not sure how sort of careful we need to be about what happens to them before that happens. Well, you know I, I mean? think we should. I think you judge humanity by the way we treat our animals. Oh, yeah. I don't, well, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting we should, we should be cruel. I'm not suggesting we should be yeah. cruel. But I think if once like we start that. talking about, you know, whether, whether the, the, the calf is taken away too early or not, 
is a bit hypocritical, isn't it? No, I think we can have our cake and eat it if we're kind. To, we can be kind. Yes. No, I agree with you. And enjoy animal products. Okay. We just need to have some clear standards that everyone's aware that these cows are, okay, have a month or they have three weeks. Or yeah. Nobody seems to want to talk about how long they're kept with their mums, and it is could be just a couple okay. of days. Well, let's talk about it, and let's do that service to people here on, on this radio station. Thank you very much indeed, Imogen. Great calls already uh, on this subject, because all I want to do here is get to the point where we can say the things that we're supposed to not say. You know, where we can say to vegans, get lost. I'm not interested in what your lifestyle is. I'm not interested in what you eat. You can eat whatever you like. I don't care that you're a vegan. I don't care that you think you're better than I am. Uh, you know, go and sit somewhere else. If you don't like eating meat and you don't like looking at it, then don't come to my restaurant where I'm quite happily eating a bowl of pasta and some chicken. Is that all right with you? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Many more of you want to get on. Many more of you will get on between now and one o'clock, of course, because that is when we are here until 0344 499 1000. Let's give up uh, this kind of ridiculous uh, genuflecting to the vegan cause. Let's forget uh, what we have to do because they tell us that we have to do it. And let us tell them instead, uh, look at all the damage that's been done to the planet because of the soy epidemic. Look at all the damage that's been done to the planet because of palm oil. Look at all the damage that's being done to the planet uh, because of the super farming now of coconuts in order to make coconut milk and all this kind of nonsense, right? Uh, another piece of nonsense, and it's been uh, dragging around uh, this week already. I already was having a massive go at the lefty lawyers yesterday uh, because of these dangerous criminals that should have been deported to Jamaica. Uh, it turns out that a lot of people think, oh, Britain's racist, and that's why we're deporting them. Well, it turns out, actually, we've deported far more people to Albania, we've deported far more people to other countries in Europe and India, as well as, uh, as various other parts of the southern Mediterranean, than we've ever deported to Jamaica. So that's yet another lefty myth. Let's talk to Brendan O'Neill from Spikes Online. Brendan, very good uh, morning to you. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, very well indeed. Apart from my constant tirade, basically, against these lefty uh, legal eagles who seem to think that they are more important than anybody else on this planet uh, and that they can dictate government policy. Yeah, I think this whole thing is spinning out of control. And I think it, it's, it's very quickly become a fake news situation. Yeah. So firstly, the fake news is around what these um, criminals did. Some of them are very serious criminals. It includes people who've committed violent offences, violent sexual offences, firearms offences. So the depiction of them as all these kind of people who came here as children and only did minor yeah. drug offences is not true. And then the second thing, as you say, um, which is being completely ignored, the idea that this proves that the, the government is racist and this country is racist is a, a complete fallacy. In 2018 more than 60%, I think nearly 70% of people deported were European Union nationals. They were white people to Romania and Albania in particular. So that's another lie. So many lies are being told about this case. And I think it's really starting to irritate people. Well, it really is, because I was talking to a lawyer yesterday who was, who was giving me this stuff about, oh, some of them haven't committed very serious crimes. Well, you don't go to jail in this country for more than a year unless you have either committed a very serious crime or you've committed loads of quite serious crimes and finally they lock you up for the fifth one. Because nobody yeah. goes to jail for a first offence if they've just been done for shoplifting or something right that's right and so these are serious offenses now if people want to change the law so that you don't go to jail for 12 months for dealing drugs then they should campaign to change that law but the fact of the matter is 
that there are there's a law in this country that if you are a foreign national, so you're not a British citizen, and you commit a serious offence that has a substantial prison sentence, you will be deported. If I moved to France when I was 16 years old and then started dealing cocaine when I was 25 yeah. years old, I would fully expect to be deported. I'd be very disappointed in the French system if they didn't do that. So I think the myth-making around this case is really dangerous. And the one thing that really is irritating me is the comparison of this with the Windrush scandal. Yeah. Because actually, that's really demeaning to those Windrush people because there are two differences. Firstly, they did have leave to remain in this country, so they were pretty much citizens of this country. Yes. Secondly, they weren't offenders. They weren't criminals. These were decent people who'd worked in this country their whole lives and yet were being threatened with deportation. Right. So comparing this to the Windrush scandal is really out of order and really demeaning to those decent people in their 60s and their 70s who were being threatened with deportation who actually hadn't committed any kind of offence. And one of the guys who was uh, deported, I believe, and did actually get on the plane and was not taken off the plane, uh, is someone who should have been deported many years before, but somehow managed to escape the law because he said he had a British wife, right? He then goes on to murder another woman in front of her six-year-old child um, before he gets locked up for another 20 years. I mean, it beggars belief uh, what some of these lefty judicial types want to do. What do they want? Do they want us to just have dangerous people walking around the streets? It completely beggars belief, and it really sums up how distant they are from ordinary people and, and how cavalier they are about the right of a country, any country, to decide who can come to that country and live in that country. Because what this adds up to, the fact that they are now willing even to defend people who've committed very serious offences, it actually adds up to their, uh, this attempt to weaken any border control in this country and any right of the government who we elect to say that in order to stay in this country, you have to be a good person, you can't commit any offences. So they're really undermining the right of the country itself to decide who can come and who can go. And uh, the other thing they're doing, which is really horrible, actually, is depicting this as a racist country. Yeah. And just look, they look out their window every morning and they just think to themselves, God, this country is full of disgusting racist people. So they actually have a deeply elitist, prejudiced view of the people in this country. And they actually now have more sympathy with a serious offender from overseas yeah. than they do with their own fellow citizens. That's it, pretty repugnant. It is absolutely repugnant. You're quite right. I mean, Dominic Cummings is quoted in The Times this morning as saying uh, that there needs to be urgent action on the fast that judicial review has become. He's absolutely right about that, isn't he? Yes, I think he is, because I think another aspect of this is the way if judicial review can be used in this way to undermine a government decision, then that calls into question democracy itself, because this is a government that has just won a historic landslide democratic victory, which was supported by millions of people, including millions of working class people who switched from Labour. All those people are being undermined, because what's happening is that the government that they elected in their millions, is being frustrated from taking a particular course of action in accordance with a law that already exists. So this is very undemocratic, the way in which judicial review is being used. And I think a lot of people are going to feel very uncomfortable with that. You know, are there some cases in which we wouldn't want to deport people? Sure. You know, if someone was going to be persecuted or executed because they're a homosexual or because they're a woman or whatever it might be, of course, there are humanitarian exceptions. But the fact is that in this case, we are talking about serious offenders who know very well that if you are visiting Britain and you commit a crime that serious, you can be thrown out. 
And the law in that situation ought to be upheld. And also the reason for them being dragged off the plane and saved from deportation has got nothing to do with any doubts about the case, any doubts about their guilt, any doubts about anything at all to do with the crimes that they committed. It all has to do with whether or not they could get a phone signal on their mobile inside a detention centre. Beggar's belief to me. Yeah, it, it, uh, every single thing about this... Uh, this situation is is really strange. I think it's it, it, what it really points to. It's become a real culture war flashpoint issue. It's a really interesting divide. Yeah. It's a divide between that kind of woke section of the elite who um, j just want, don't want any immigration controls at all and don't care about democratic governments being able to take their uh, the, the right course of action. It divide between those people on one side. And most ordinary people on the other side who want to live in a safe country, who want to live in a country in which the law is upheld, and who want to live in a country in which they, via their government, have a right to say who can come to live here. So that's the key divide in our country. And if we thought that divide was going to go away once Brexit was done, it looks like we're mistaken. It's going to blow up around issues like this all the time. I think. Because the joke about this, really, is we've been talking for a long time, you and I, Brendan, about the divide in our society, but we, we thought, perhaps, that Boris Johnson getting a massive majority would mean that he could do pretty much what he wanted. Well, it turns out we don't need Her Majesty's opposition. All we need <laughs> is a bunch of lefties out there who want to challenge everything the government wants to do, and they can get away with it. Yeah, uh, using the law, using lawyers, using, you know, their, their own uh, kind of undemocratic influence. And th that's really, that's one of the most concerning things here, because it does raise the question of what this government will be able to do. Will it be able to do anything without having armies of lawyers frustrating it through the ju judicial review process? So actually, what this situation points to is the need for more serious reform. We need to reform the law so that it doesn't frustrate elected governments, but compliments them and what they want to do. And that's one of the key lessons I think we've got to take away from this. Yeah, well, just before we go, let me tell you this. Uh, a killer, a firearms offender, two individuals who've committed rape and other sexual offences, seven violent criminals and 14 drugs offenders uh, are the people who they have kept in Britain and who may well be, uh, by the end of this month, released back into the onto the streets. Yeah, and loads and loads of people will be angry about that and they will be asking questions as to why... These, uh, you know, woke leftists and woke lawyers are taking action that could potentially put people in danger. That's really problematic. Today. It really is. And I've seen a lot of um, sort of activity on social media around people saying if some of these people then commit more crimes, further crimes, particularly further violent uh, crimes or serious crimes, these people have a lot to answer for. A huge amount to answer for. And, you know, it also speaks to uh, the other recent incidents, which is not dissimilar, is the release of terrorists halfway through their sentence, right. people who we, we know are incredibly dangerous, and two of them went on to stab uh, people in the streets of London. Yeah. You know, we've got to get a grip on the crime situation. We've got to take this, these issues and these crimes a bit more seriously. And we've got to listen to ordinary people who are saying, look, keep the streets safe, keep us safe from violent offenders, do your job, and stop pushing people onto the streets when we don't want them here. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Brendan, thanks very much indeed. Brendan O'Neill, editor of Spiked Online uh, and editor of Spiked Magazine. It turns out, right, um, that these people who had committed all sorts of vile and ghastly crimes were allowed to leave a plane which was meant to take them to Jamaica where they were supposed to be being deported to because of those crimes purely and simply because they couldn't get an O2 phone coverage signal because of the lack of a faulty, or because of a faulty phone mast, uh, when they were in the Colnbrook and Harmonsworth Immigration Removal Centre near Heathrow.
Well, I'm sorry. The fact that you can't get a mobile signal, but you've raped somebody, does not mean that you should be let back out onto the streets. The fact that you've killed someone, but because you can't get a phone signal to call a lawyer who will tell you, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do, the law says, because it was created in 2007 by Tony Blair, that you must be deported, that's not going to make any difference whether you can talk to a lawyer or not. But because of this ridiculous loophole, because of this ludicrous situation where lefty lawyers can get their way because they care more, as Brendan said, uh, for the rights of dangerous criminals than they do for you, we're going to let these people out. I can't believe it. I literally cannot believe it. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio, with you all the way through until one o'clock. You'll watch us, of course, on YouTube now as well, uh, live streaming on Facebook, live streaming on Twitter as well. Uh, and when you do that, just like it and subscribe to it, and we will be able to keep you updated with anything else that we are doing. I'm going to talk to Joe Hemmings now, though, uh, who is our favourite TV psychologist, because there's an amazing story in The Times today about a mother's virtual reunion with her dead child. And it's prompted all sorts of questions about whether it's even ethical to sort of try 
to basically reconnect with somebody who may have died. In this case, her daughter died, I think, a few years ago of a very rare blood disorder. And basically, she got a set of virtual uh, reality sort of uh, goggles on and, and re-enacted a meeting in a park with her daughter, uh, Na Yeon, uh, who died in 2016. It's a documentary that now shows them meeting in a park and having a meal together. Joe, very good morning to you. Fascinating story, this, isn't it? Fascinating. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, yeah it's a, and a really haunting video, actually, for those who, who want to watch it. It really is. Yeah. I can't decide whether it's sort of distressing or comforting. It's yeah, I mean, it, I suppose. So it, yeah, I mean, I suppose it depends on the individual who's who's doing it. But yeah. it struck me that this could be something that that everyone could get involved in. You know, you could suddenly find yourself um, wanting to maybe reconnect with a, with a parent who died when you were quite young, or or have uh, you know one of your relatives reconstructed yep. in some way. I mean, it's sort of it's 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 almost like technology has taken over the the ethical question. Yeah, I mean, it's not a it's not a brand new technology in terms of bereavement counselling. Actually, it's been used oh, really? for a few years, okay. but usually for other people to sort of immerse themselves in the world of what the grieving might be going through. Right, uh, those who are grieving. So it's been used by various charities and bereavement uh, counselling organisations for the past few years, but I've never seen it used like this, where the person who has been, you know, lost, has passed on, has been recreated right. in this way. So how does it? So how has it worked before this? Then, in terms of just talking about it, or what? Um, it's sort of giving you a virtual reality of what somebody else's loss might feel like, so that when you know you have a friend or a you know somebody colleague who has lost someone, you will know partly what they're going through, right. if you like. So it, it's supposed to sort of ease the way that we can console or give our condolences to other people by mm. understanding a bit about their loss. Oh, OK. Because uh, in this case, what they've done is they've actually created an avatar of the little girl. They um, have. Uh, which, which the mother can actually touch effectively and interact with. It, it, and it was amazing, because I've never seen anything like it. Mm. And you could see in this video, she's very hesitant at first. I mean, she's absolutely overwhelmed. Yeah. And, and then, you know, within just a few moments, she's reaching out, you know, to her to this sort of avatar of her daughter. And actually, she seemed to find it incredibly comforting. And I do, now I've watched it a few times, I sort of think, I don't think there's an ethical issue there, actually, because I think it's down to the individual. Yeah. But I think it could be incredibly comforting and reassuring to just feel you've got a virtual moment with with someone that you loved who's lost. Right. And she died four years ago at the age of seven. So I guess looking at the pictures in the Times today, she is as she was then. She's yeah. the, the avatar doesn't age her on. You know how we used to see pictures of what Madeleine McCann might look like if she was yeah. to be found now at the age of and 16 I think or whatever. That's right that they didn't age her. Right. I mean, that's, I think, starting to sort of get slightly on the kind of weird side if they did. Yes. But, you know, just as she remembered her and... Yeah, she was totally moved, this mother. You know, you kind of look at it and think there is a possibility there for other people. But is know? it something, and I'm, I'm interested in your sort of psychological take on this, is it something that if you were to do something like this, that you could kind of become hooked on? Like, you know, you might go, oh, maybe I should do this every Friday and sort of interact with, with my imaginary now daughter. There is, yeah, there's a problem because of the stages of grief. Really. Yeah. So when you go through grief, you know, one of the stages is this after denial and anger, you get this bargaining stage. That's where you would say, oh, my God, I'd do anything if only they'll, they would still be alive. Right. And then you go through eventually an acceptance stage. What we're doing or what seems to be happening in psychological terms with this VR is you're taking them back 
a step or two. Right. And it will trigger certain memories that actually, of course, you've never lost them, but you've dealt with them, you've right. coped with them. And yeah, there will be there will be people who will think, you know, it's the most extraordinary experience. I want to keep doing it. Yes. And if, as a psychologist, would you recommend that that shouldn't be the case? I, I actually, I don't know the answer to that at this stage. I think you would have to, you know, be very carefully counselled yeah. before you were going to do it. You'd have to understand how many times you could do it. I mean, in theory, no, it's okay if you were going to do that once a week and it helped you. That's all right, but it, you know, is it affordable? You know, you've right. got to tell people what they might feel again that they had already sort of dealt with. So I think they need quite careful counselling. But in itself, I think if you were to do that, I don't think it's an awful thing at all. Because I guess that raises the next question, which is if it's a commercial organisation that's that's doing this, um, you know, they if yeah. they were not properly perhaps regulated, it might be that they would offer that kind of thing, which might not be good for everybody. It might not, and it might be. It might actually cause far more distress. Yeah. A, if it's not done properly, or B, it's prohibitively expensive, that people get, as you say, addicted to it, and they have to keep doing it. And if it isn't accurate, you know, that sense of you will feel kind of very distressed and robbed of memories, uh, and that will be the last thing you probably do remember, which, which will be yeah. bad. So, well, also you're kind of around it. You're sort of exploiting other people's grief as well, aren't you? you if, are. if you're making money out of it. Well, yes, I suppose you are. But then I guess you know the high prices of funerals. You could say the same thing. Mm. Um, you know, I think it's so new at the moment. I don't know that there'd be much sort of um, psychological sort of research into it, but. I think monitored properly, it, it's a good thing. Yeah. It's just so new, it's difficult to kind of imagine a world where that is an option. I can see it becoming massive, this, you know, because I can see people who perhaps never knew who their father was or their father died when they were very young or their mother died when they were very young, you know. I can see people wanting to reconnect with, with a parent as well. Yes, I can too, absolutely. I was sort of thinking as I watched that, I thought, gosh, I could, I'd love to do that with my mother. You really, know, yeah. She was, and she died quite young. So. Well, do you know what I was thinking when I read it? I thought, Prince Harry, straight away. You know, here's a guy who talks about his yeah. mother all the time and yeah. how terrible it was yeah, to have his childhood without her. You know, maybe he would benefit from it. Maybe he would, but then, you, you know, if you start to really think about it, I mean, once wouldn't be enough, would it? I mean, what, no. and what would you say and... You know, how would you approach it? With a child, it's slightly different because there's a sort of innocence about that child. Yeah. It worked in that VR. But I think if it was an adult, I mean, what what situation would you set up in order to first meet yeah. your lost parent? I mean, it's quite... And how do you, and how do you program that person um, or that avatar yeah. to, to talk and and, to what, and how they would talk and what they would say? And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally like... Um, a Pandora's box, isn't it? Because you it can, is. You're, you're thinking and the to yourself, obviously there, but yeah. that's not really the point. No, I, I mean no. we've just been talking about Ofcom taking over social media. Can you imagine what a nightmare this would be to police? <laughs> oh yeah, people will be offering it. Yeah, I know it will be, and it'd be extraordinary. We don't know what effect it would have on people yeah. uh, in different situations, but it's a fascinating thing to watch. It really is. It really is. And yeah. we should guarantee that a lot of people will do it. Joe, thanks very much indeed. Joe having psychologist there. Amazing story. Uh, you'll find it in the Times today. Uh, and you can find it probably online. I may tweet it out, uh, actually, because it is quite a remarkable state of affairs. And I'm sure lots of people would love to take advantage of exactly that particular scenario. 
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're here with you until one o'clock. Of course, Matthew Wright taking over then. Uh, let's get some calls on the way. Uh, 0344-499-1000. You can watch us live on YouTube as well uh, as listening to us now uh, on Talk Radio. We're also live streaming on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Let's talk to Matt, uh, who's in Somerset. I think he's a councillor. Hello, Matt. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. What can I do for you? Well, Mike, I wanted to talk about uh, HS2, if I could, please. OK. Uh, I, have, I have a concern regarding uh, the project as a whole, uh, regarding the viability of the project as a whole, um, because of the massive spend, of course. We're looking yeah. at circa uh, 100 billion pounds, which is, frankly, a number that none of us can understand. It's an astonishing number. But by the by, that number, 100 billion pounds, could be used, I feel personally, for other areas of the country which were adversely affected by the beaching cuts which took place in the yes. 60s, 70s. Um, so no, I agree. I mean, and you're in, if you're in Somerset, which I assume you are, um, yes. you're not going to get much benefit whatsoever from this HS2 project. Not at all, no. The problem that I have with it is that we have... We, you know what happened in the beaching cuts with regard to the southwest being yeah. with regard to industry. Mm. Um, a lot of this could be recreated. A lot of the lines still exist. Um, we could use a lot of that money to recreate industry in a lot of other parts of the country, South Wales, the yeah. southwest of England, the east of England, up to, towards Norfolk, wherever. Um, we're putting a line in place to the north of the country where a line already exists. Right. And we know there are going to be savings with time. We know there are going to be savings of uh, Birmingham to London, I think it's 29 minutes. Manchester to London is going to be saving 60 minutes, which is pretty good. But we already have a line there. There are a lot of places in the country that don't have anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I used, to live in, I used to live in Wiltshire, right? And I mean, you know, the, the connection to London was okay. But inside of, you know, getting around Wiltshire, getting, say if I wanted to get a train from, from Devizes down to, uh, to Poole or somewhere on the south coast, I mean, it was literally, I mean, you'd have more chance of getting to Switzerland. Exactly that. And we have the knock-on effect of many parts of the, of the economy. We have house prices here, which are becoming unattainable for local people. We have industry, as I keep saying, which is failing because uh, in, industrial processes can't get in and out of the area. And, and I just genuinely feel that this money could be better spent in other places where the whole country is going to have to pay for it for this astonishing amount of money. Yeah. And only a small part of it, and the North, I, I know the North has had a problem for many, many years, but they're not the only people that have got problems. No, exactly right. And would you, will you get any benefit, Matt, in your neck of the woods from this five billion bus plan? Well, that's something I'm looking at now, actually. Um, we have, I'd, I'm lucky enough to live out in, in rural Somerset, on a place right. called uh, West Hay, and we have uh, three bus services a day going into Glastonbury from here right. and up to, up to Wells, but that's all we get. That's not very we, many, is have, it? It's not at all, no. So we have a lot of older people around here which have to, uh, they, they sort of have, have a car share idea going mm. to and from the big city, which is nice, it works. But I'd rather there were a bus service that we could rely on. Right. Uh, and and uh, I would call on our local MP, Mr. James Heapy, who is one of Boris's mates, to, to help us use some of that five billion and help us raise sure. the area. I guess it's tricky, isn't it? Because, I mean, where you've got, say, three uh, buses going into Glastonbury and presumably back out again, you don't want to go too mad and make it once an hour because you probably just run empty half the time. But but it's well, but absolutely. it is a problem. I mean, and I think that I think the difficulty here, Matt, is that they're taking they're, they're throwing all this money at HS2, um, which, as you quite rightly say, is not going to be doing anything other than just taking a few people off the other lines um, mm. when when they should be doing an awful lot more. I just think it's a con job. 
Yes, I entirely agree. This is a vanity project, if I may be both so bold as to say so. It's a vanity project which will be a thorn, an, eco- uh, an economical thorn in our side for yeah. many, many years. As you said earlier, this is going to be a problem long after you and I are dead. Yeah, And we've I'm got to sure. start fighting the corner for it now. I think you're absolutely right. Well, let's talk again, Matt. Thanks very much for your call. Uh, Matt Martin, amended councillor. Danny uh, is in uh, Cognac, I believe, in France. What a nice place to be. Danny, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Mike. How Welcome you to the Independent Republic. How is Cognac today? Uh, not too bad, a bit cloudy, a bit of sun poking through the clouds now and again, but generally pretty cold. Very nice. Do you live there? Sorry, yeah, I've been living there about 20 years with nice. my French wife. Very nice. Very nice yeah. indeed. Uh, now, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about vegans? Uh, about the cows, yeah. yeah. Now, I used to, when I, we first came to France 20 years ago, it was pretty difficult for me to get a job because I couldn't speak French at all. Right. So I ended up on, on, a, on a local farm where they had cows and they um, used to do, um, had uh, vineyards. Right. The great for the cognac. So I was sort of a helping, a helping hand with, with the cows. Right. And when we used to have calves, we used to have a guy who used to come with all his equipment, used to inseminate the cows, and, you know, a few months later, we used to have a calf. And the calves weren't taken off the cows like two or three days after, like I think I heard one of you call yeah. say, they were kept with a cow probably about five, six weeks. Oh, really? Okay. In, in, in between time, the cow used to go for milking right. and then go back into the, into the, into the barn or right. in the field, depending on what time of year it was, and they would be reintroduced with their, with their calves again. Okay. I mean, they, the cows are really well treated on this farm. So at about 30, it was only a small hold-in. Right. But, you know, they're all names for the calves, but in the end, at the end of the day, when they don't give any more milk or some never gave any milk, they do, unfortunately, go off to slaughter. Yes. But well, I mean, I can't imagine the French are, are, are better than we are about animal husbandry because, I mean, they, they, they will literally eat anything that moves, won't they? <laughs> if it's got a pole. <laughs> yeah, you know, for everything right, from right. snails up. But the thing is, right, as I said, I mean, I think I think there probably are, you know, must, sort of huge industrial farms which which perhaps are not um, as kind to the, to the, to the animals as, as the smaller places are. But if you're running a relatively small holding like you're describing, you're not going to be horrible to the animals because that's part of what you do. Exactly, Mike. You know, I can't, I can't say with these great big industrial um, um, breeders of cows, uh, you know, dairy farms, but the little small holder we had, the cows were treated brilliantly. They all had names. Yeah. And in the winter, they go into the barn for shelter. And the first day when it's warm enough to them to go out on the field, they're jumping around, kicking their legs in the air. They were so happy, these cows. Right. I just don't get where these people are coming from. I just think they're city folk who've never who've got no idea of how cows are treated no, on a farm. No. I've never experienced it's it. It's the usual middle-class nonsense, isn't it? You know, it's like the only time they went to the country was when they went to the Glastonbury Festival, you know, and they went in a Volvo or something and they think they know everything about the countryside. Listen, Danny, great call. First one I've ever had from Cognac, so welcome uh, to the show. Uh, what a great part of the world that is. Imagine living in Cognac where you could just get as much Cognac as you like because they make it round the corner. Uh, it must be tremendous. I've always found the French to be very good at hoarding as well. If you go to France and you go to any of the wine regions, you get some fantastic wine that we never see here because they don't bother exporting the good stuff. They keep it all for themselves. And why not? Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.